Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Orkneying a Saga. Chapter 55. The Reconciliation of the Orkney Men. Shortly afterwards, King Sigurd came to town, and these difficulties were laid before him. Then the king summoned both to appear before him, and they came accompanied by their kinsmen and friends. An attempt was made to reconcile them, and the result was that the king should judge all their differences, which both parties confirmed by shaking of hands. King Sigurd, assisted by the advice of the wisest men, then made peace between them. One part of the agreement was that John Peterson should marry Ingrid, Cole's daughter, and their friendship should be confirmed by the connection. The Celt were set off against each other. The attack on Col and John's wind were set off against the loss of men in the east. Further winds were matched, and the difference made up. Each should assist the other, both at home and abroad. As a result of this reconciliation, King Sigurd gave Cali, Colson, the half of the Orkneys, jointly with Paul, Hackinson, and made him an earl at the same time. He also gave him the name of Earl Rogenwald, Bruce's son, because his mother, Gunhild, said that Rogenwald was the most accomplished of all the Orkney earls, and thought the name would bring him good fortune. This part of the Orkneys had belonged to Earl Magnus, Cali's mother's brother. After this reconciliation, they who were enemies before parted as good friends. Chapter 56 King Sigurd's Death This winter King Sigurd resided in Oslo. During Lent he was taken ill and died one night after a lady day. His son Magnus was in the town and held a thing and was accepted king throughout the land, most agreeably to the oaths which the inhabitants had sworn to King Sigurd. He also took possession of all the royal treasures. Harold Gilly was at Tunsberg when he heard of the death of King Sigurd. He had meetings with friends, and he sent for Rogenwald and his father, because they had always been friends since they had met in England. Rogenwald and his father had also done the most to help Harald prove his paternity to Sigurd. In this they were assisted by many barons, among others Ingemar, Svensson, and Fjolstof, Alison. Harald and his party resolved to hold the Halgething at Tunsberg and there Harald was accepted king of one half of the land. The oaths with which he had given up his patrimony, in order to be permitted to prove his paternity by an ordeal, were said to have been given under compulsion. Then people flocked to him, and gave their allegiance, and soon he had many men about him. Messages went between him and King Magnus, but it was not until four winters had passed that they were reconciled, on the terms that each of them should have one half of the kingdom. But King Magnus had the longships, and the table service, and all the treasure of his father, yet he was dissatisfied with his portion, 
and showed enmity to all the friends of King Harold. King Magnus would not hold valid King Sigurd's gift of the Orkneys and the earldom to Rogenwald, because he was the firmest partisan of King Harold, until all their dealings were concluded. Magnus and Harold were three winters the kings of Norway, and nominally at peace, but the fourth summer they fought at Fyrolief, where King Magnus had nearly 6,000, but Harold only had 1,500 men. These chiefs were with King Harold, his brother Kristrod, Earl Rogenwald, Ingemar from Ask, Theostof Alisson, and Solmund. King Magnus gained the victory, and Harold fled. Kristrod and Ingemar were killed. Ingemar made the following stanza. Fiends drove me to Fireleaf, not with my will did I fight there, bit by arrows from the elm bow, ne'er to ask shall I return. King Harold fled to his ships in Vic, and went to Denmark to King Eric Aymany, who gave him Halland for his maintenance, and eight longships without rigging. Theostof Alisson sold his lands, bought ships and arms, and went in autumn to King Harold in Denmark. At Yuletide, King Harold came to Björgvin, and lay in Fluruvagr till after Yule. Then they attacked the town, and met with little resistance. King Magnus was seized on board his own ship and maimed. King Harold then took possession of the whole kingdom, and the next spring he renewed the gift of the islands and the title of Earl to Rogenwald. Chapter 57. Call's Schemes. Call resolved to send men to the Orkneys to ask Earl Paul to give up half the islands, which King Harold had given to Rogenwald, and they should be good friends and good kinsmen. But if Earl Paul refused, the same men would go to Frakork and Olvia and offer them one half of the land, jointly with Earl Rogenwald, if they were willing to take it from Earl Paul by force of arms. When they came to Earl Paul in the Orkneys and delivered the message, he replied, I understand this claim. It has been planned advisedly and with long forethought. They sought the help of the kings of Norway to obtain my possessions. Now, I will not repay this perfidy by giving away my possessions to a man who is not nearer to me than Rogenwald is, and refusing them to my brother's son or sister's son. There is no need to talk any more of this, for with the assistance of my friends and kinsmen, I shall defend the Orkneys as long as God grants me life. Then the messengers saw what would be the result of their message to Earl Paul, and went away across the Pentland Firth to Caithness, and south into the country to Frackork, and delivered their message, to the effect that Call and Rogenwald offered her and Olvir half of the islands, if they were willing to conquer them from Earl Paul. Frackork replied, It is true that Call is a very clever man, and it was wisely planned to seek assistance here, as we have a great many relatives and connections. I have now married Margaret Hacken's daughter, to modern Earl of Athol, who is of the noblest family of all the Scottish chiefs. His father Malcolm is the brother of King Malcolm, the father of David, who is now the King of Scots. We have many and just claims on the Orkneys. We ourselves have some power. We are said also to be rather far-seeing, and during hostilities all things do not come to us unawares. Yet we will be glad to enter into an alliance with Call and his son, for many reasons. Tell them from me that I and Olvir shall bring an army to the Orkneys against Paul about the middle of the next summer. Let Earl Rogenwald meet us then, and come to a decisive battle with Earl Paul. 
and I will collect forces together during the winter, from my kinsmen, friends, and connections in Scotland and the Sudriar. The messengers returned to Norway and related how matters stood. Next winter, Elrogenwald prepared to go west, and the chiefs Solmund and John with him. They went the next summer and had a fine body of troops, though not numerous, and five or six ships. They arrived at Jatland about the middle of the summer, but heard nothing of Frakork. Strong winds sprung up, and they brought their ships to Asland, and went a feasting over the country, for the Bondi received them well. But of Frakork, it is to be told that in the spring she went to the Sudriar, where she and Olvir gathered troops and ships together. They got twelve ships, all of them small and somewhat badly manned, and about the middle of the summer they directed their course to the Orkneys, intending to meet Elrogenwald, according to their agreement. The wind was rather unfavourable. Olvir Rosta was the commander of these troops, and he was to obtain an earldom in the Orkneys, if they gained victory. Frakork was there also, with many of her retainers. Chapter 58 The Fight Between Earl Paul and Olvio Rosta Earl Paul was then at a feast with Sigurd at Westness, and when he heard that Rogenwald had arrived in Jutland, and at the same time that an army which was going to attack him was gathering in the Sudriar, he sent word to Kugi in Westry and Thorko Fletir, who were wise men, and many others of his chief men he called together. At this meeting, Earl Paul sought advice from his friends, but they differed in their opinions. Some wished him to share the possessions with one of the two parties, so as not to have both as enemies. Others advised him to go over to his friends in Caithness and see what assistance he could get there. Earl Paul replied, I will not offer them my possessions now, since I refused when they asked civilly. Besides, I think it would be unworthy of a chief to flee from my lands without a trial of strength. My counsel is to send eight men tonight to collect troops throughout all the islands. Let us then go to meet our Rogenwald and have matters decided between us before the Sudra men come. Earl Paul's plan was adopted. With Earl Paul there was a man by the name of Svein, called Briostrep, or Breastrope, who was his henchman and highly esteemed by him. In the summer he was always on Viking raids, but in the winter he stayed with the Earl. Sven was a man of large stature and great strength, swarthy and ill-favoured. He was greatly skilled in ancient lore, and had frequently been engaged in outsettings. His place was in the forecastle of the Earl's ship. During the night the following chiefs came to Earl Paul, Ivind, Melbrigdi's son, in a ship fully manned. Olaf, Rolf's son from Gersey, had another. Thorkofletir III, Sigurd IV, and the Earl himself the fifth. With these five vessels they went to Rossi, and arrived there in the evening about sunset. Troops gathered to him during the night, but more ships were not to be had. The next day they were going to sail to Jatland to meet Earl Rogenwald, but in the morning, shortly after sunrise, some men came to Earl Paul, who said they had seen longships coming from the Pentland Firth, whether ten or twelve they did not know. The Earl and his men were convinced that this was Frakork's party, and the Earl ordered his men to row against them as fast as possible. Olaf and Sigurd advised them to go leisurely, saying that their troops might arrive at any moment. When they were east of Tankerness, the longships, twelve together, sailed to the west from Muli. 
The Earl and his men fastened their ships together. Then the Bondi, Earling from Tankerness and his sons, came to the Earl and offered him their assistance. And then their ships were so crowded that they thought they could not use more men. The Earl asked Erling and his men to bring stones to them, until they were prevented by the fighting. When they had prepared themselves, Olvir came up and made the attack with superior force, but his ships were smaller. Olvir himself had a large ship, which he placed beside the Earl's ship, and there was the severest of fighting. Olaf, Rolf's son, attacked the smallest of the ships of Olvir and cleared three of them in a short time. Olvir attacked the Earl's ships so fiercely that all the forecastle men were driven abaft. Then Olvir urged his men strongly to board, and jumped himself from the quarter-deck to the forepart of the ship, and was the first to board. Svein Bredestrup was the foremost of all the Earl's men, and fought bravely. When the Earl saw that Olvir had boarded his ship, he urged his men forward, and jumped himself from the quarter-deck to the forepart of the ship. When Olvir perceived this, he grabbed a spear and hurled it at the Earl, who received it well with his shield, but fell down on the deck. Then there was a great shout, but in the same moment Svein seized a huge stone and threw it at Olvir. It hit him in the chest with such force that he was thrown overboard and sank, but his men were able to drag him up into one of their ships, and it was not known whether he was dead or alive. Then some cut the cables and wanted to flee. All Olvir's men were also driven down off the Earl's ship and began to withdraw. At that moment Olvir recovered and asked them not to flee, but all pretended not to hear what he had said. The Earl pursued the fugitives along the east of Rossi and into the Pentland Firth, where they parted. Then he returned, and five of Olvir's ships remained where they had fought. The Earl took them and manned them with his troops. The battle took place on a Friday, but in the night the Earl had the ships made ready, and many of the troops and two longships came to him, so that in the morning he had twelve ships all well manned. On Saturday he sailed to Jotland, and took by surprise those that had charge of Ilrogenwald's ships. He killed the men, and seized the ships with all their contents. In the morning Ilrogenwald had news of this, and his men gathered together, and a great many of the Bondi. Then they went down to the beach and challenged Earl Paul and his men to come on shore and fight. Earl Paul did not put much faith in the Jutlanders, and would not go ashore, but he told them to take ships, and then they might fight. Earl Roggenwald saw, however, that they could get no ships into Jutland, such as would give them any chance, and they parted thus as matters stood. Earl Paul and his men went back to the Orkneys, but Earl Roggenwald and his men remained in Jutland during the summer. In the autumn they went back to Norway with some merchants, and it was thought their expedition had come to a most ridiculous end. When Earl Roggenwald came to the east he saw his father call, who asked him whether he was dissatisfied with his expedition. He replied that the result had brought little honour to himself. Call replied, I do not think so. I think a great deal has been done, since the Atlanders are your friends, and the journey was better than staying at home. Roggenwald replied, if you praise this journey, then you are either more indifferent about my case than I thought, or you see something in which I do not perceive. I should wish very much to have your counsels, and that you would go with us yourself. Call replied, I shall not do both, call everything easy for you and come nowhere near myself, but I think I shall hold fast to my own plans, so that there is no prejudice to your honour. 
Roggenwald replied, I will gladly follow your counsels. Call replied, First, I advise you to send word to King Harold and other friends of yours, and ask them to give you men and ships to go to the west in the spring. And during the winter we ourselves will collect all forces we can, and then try a second time whether we can gain possession of the islands, or find our graves there. I have made up my mind, said Earl Roggenwald, not to make another journey like that we made just now, and I think that most of us who went are of the same mind. Chapter 59 Earl Roggenwald's Plans Earl Paul went back to the Orkneys after having taken the ships of Earl Roggenwald. He had gained a great victory and feasted all his friends and vassals. It was now resolved to make a beacon in Fair Isle, which would be lighted if enemies were seen coming from Jutland. Another beacon was made in Rearnsea, and others on some other islands also, so that they might be seen all over the islands. Thorstein, the son of Havert, Gunnus' son, was to have charge of that in Rearnsea. His brother Magnus, of the one in Sandy, Kugi of that in Westry, and Sigurd at Westness. Olaf, Rolf's son, went to Dunkles Bay in Caithness, and was to have the emoluments of that place. His son, Avathiof, lived at the same time in Stroma. Earl Paul gave presents to his men, and all promised him their unfailing friendship. He had many men about him in the autumn, until he heard that Roggenwald and his men had left Jutland. Nothing happened in the islands until Yule. Earl Paul had a grand Yule feast, which he prepared at his estate in Orphir, and invited many guests. Valthiof, Olaf's son from Stroma, was invited. He went with his men in a ten-oared boat, and they perished all of them in the West Firth on Yule Eve. That was thought sad news, as Valthiof was a most accomplished man. His father Olaf had a large party in Caithness. There were his sons Sven and Guni, and the sons of Grim and Swinney, Asbjorn and Margaret, brave-looking fellows, who always followed Svein. Three nights before Yule, Svein, Olaf's son, Asbjorn and Margaret, had put out to sea fishing, and Asleif and her son, and Guni, Olaf's son, had gone a short distance to visit their friends. The night after that, Olvierosta arrived at Dunglesby, with a party that had been out with him on a Viking raid during the summer. He surprised Olaf in the house, and set it on fire immediately. There he was burnt with five others, but the rest were permitted to escape. Olvir and his men took all the movable property, and then went away. After this, Svein was called Asleif's son. He came home on Yule Eve and went immediately out north on the Pentland Firth. At midnight they came to Grim, the father of Asbjorn and Margot, in Swona. He went into the boat to them, and they brought Svein to Narstein in Scapa. A man by the name Arnkel lived there. His sons were Hanif and Sigurd. Grim and his sons returned, and Svein gave him a fingering of gold. Hanif and Sigurd accompanied Svein to Orfir, where he was well received, and he was conducted to his kinsman Ivand Milbrigdi's son. Ivand conducted him to Earl Paul, who received him well, and asked his news. He told him of his father's death, at which the Earl was much grieved, and said it was in great measure happened through him. He invited Sven to stay with him, and he accepted the invitation with thanks. Chapter 60 Sven Slays Sven Then they went to Evensong. 
There was a large homestead there at Orphir. It stood on the hillside, and there was a height behind the houses. In this island there was a castle. The keeper of it was a man by the name of Blan, the son of Thorstein, at Flegenus. In Jorfara there was a large drinking hall. The door was near the east gable on the southern wall, and a magnificent church was in front of the door, and one had to go down to the church from the hall. On entering the hall, one saw a large flat stone on the left hand. Farther in, there were many large ale vessels, but opposite the outer door was the stofa. When the guests came from Evensong, they were placed in their seats. The earl had Svein, Elif's son, next to him. On the other side, next to the earl, was Svein Briostrip, and then John, his kinsman. When the tables were removed, there came in men with the tidings of Valfiof's drowning. This the earl considered sad news. He said that no one should tell it to Svein while the Yule feast lasted, adding that he had cares now already. In the evening, when they had finished drinking, the earl went to bed, and so did most of his guests. Svein Briostrup went out and sat all night, as was his wont. In the night, at midnight, the guests arose and heard mass, and after high mass they went down to the table. Ivan Melbrigdi's son, shared the management of the feast with the earl, and did not sit down to the table. Table boys and candle boys were standing before the earl's table, but Ivan handed drinking cups to each of the Sveins. Svein Briostrop thought Ivan poured more into his cup than Svein, Asleif's sons, and that he took the cup away from the latter before he emptied it. So he called Svein, Asleif's son, a sluggard at his drink. There had long been a coldness between Svein Briostrop and Olaf Frof's son, and also between him and Svein, Aislev's son, since he grew up. When they had been drinking for a while, the guests went to nuns' service. When they came in again, memorial toasts were proposed, and they drank out of horns. Then, Svein Brielstrup wished to exchange horns with his namesake, saying his was a small one. Ivan, however, put a big horn into Svein, Aislev's son's hand, and this he offered to his namesake. Then, Sven became angry, and was overheard by the Earl and some of the men muttering to himself, Svein will be the death of Svein, and Svein shall be the death of Svein. But nothing was said about it. The drinking went on until evensong, and when the Earl went out, Svein, Eslief's son, walked before him, and Svein, Briostrip, remained behind drinking. When they came out at the ale room, Ivan followed them, and craved a word alone with Svein, Aislev's son. He said, Did you not hear what your namesake said when you offered him the horn? No, he replied. Then Ivan repeated his words, and said that it was surely the devil that had spoken through his mouth in the night. He intends to kill you, he added, but you should forestall him and slay him. Ivan put an axe into his hand, and told him to stand in the shadow beside the flat stone, he should strike him in front if John preceded him, but from behind if John followed. The Earl went into the church, and no one took heed of Ivind and Svein, but when Svein Beelstrip and John walked out shortly after, the latter had a sword in his hand, as was his habit, though the others were unarmed. John walked in front. Some light came through the outer door, but the outside sky was cloudy. When Svein Beelstrip came into the doorway, Svein, Asleif's son, struck him on the forehead, so that he stumbled, but he did not fall, and when he regained his footing, 
he saw a man in the door and thought it was he who had wounded him. Then he drew his sword and struck at his head, splitting it down to his shoulders. This, however, was John, his kinsman, and they fell there both. Ivan came up at the same moment and led Sven, Asleaf's son, into the stofa, and he was dragged out through a window. There, Magnus, Ivan's son, had a horse ready for him and accompanied him away behind the house and into Orida Firth. There he took a boat and brought Sven to the castle in Demacy, and the next morning Blan accompanied him to Bishop William in Aiglesey. When they arrived there, the bishop was at Mass, and after Mass, Sven was conducted to him secretly. Sven told the bishop the news, the death of his father and of his brother Valthioff, and the slaughter of Sven and John. Then he besought the bishop's assistance. The bishop thanked him for the slaughter of Sven Briostrip, and said it was good riddance. He kept Svein, Asleaf's son, during the Yuletide, and after that he sent him to a man called Old Body. Old Body was a great chief, and received Svein very well, and there he spent the winter, highly esteemed of all the people.